Chapter 57 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Voyage of the Beaver to New Archangel, a Russian Governor, Roistering Rule, the Tyranny of the Table, Hard Drinking Bargainings, Voyage to Kamchatka, Seal Catching Establishment at St. Paul's, Storms at Sea, mr hunt left at the sandwich islands transactions of the beaver at canton return of mr hunt to astoria it will be recollected that the destination of the boston when she sailed from astoria on the fourth of august in eighteen twelve was to proceed northwardly along the coast to shitka or new archangel there to dispose of that part of her cargo intended for the supply of the russian establishment at that place and then to return to Astoria, where it was expected she would arrive in October. New Archangel is situated in Norfolk Sound, latitude 57 degrees, 2 minutes north, longitude 135 degrees, 50 minutes west. It was the headquarters of the different colonies of the Russian Fur Company, and the common rendezvous of the American vessels trading along the coast the beaver met with nothing worthy of particular mention in her voyage and arrived at new archangel on the nineteenth of august the place at that time was the residence of count baranoff the governor of the different colonies a rough rugged hospitable hard-drinking old russian somewhat of a soldier somewhat of a trader above all a boon companion of the old roistering school with a strong cross of the bear mr hunt found this hyperborean veteran ensconced in a fort which crested the whole of a rocky promontory it mounted one hundred guns large and small and was impregnable to indian attack unaided by artillery here the old governor lorded it over sixty russians who formed the core of the trading establishment besides an indefinite number of indian hunters of the kodiak tribe who were continually coming and going or lounging and loitering about the fort like so many hounds round a sportsman's hunting quarters though a loose liver among his guests the governor was a strict disciplinarian among his men keeping them in perfect subjection and having seven on guard night and day besides these immediate serfs and dependents just mentioned the old russian potentate exerted a considerable sway over a numerous and irregular class of maritime traders who looked to him for aid and munitions and through whom he may be said to have in some degree extended his power along the whole northwest coast these were american captains of vessels engaged in a particular department of the trade one of these captains would come in a manner empty-handed to new archangel here his ship would be furnished with about fifty canoes and a hundred kodiak hunters and fitted out with provisions and everything necessary for hunting the sea otter on the coast of california where the russians have another establishment the ship would ply along the california coast from place to place dropping parties of otter hunters in their canoes furnishing them only with water and leaving them to depend upon their own dexterity for a maintenance when a sufficient cargo was collected she would gather up her canoes and hunters and return with them to archangel 
where the captain would render in the returns of his voyage and receive one-half of the skins for his share over these coasting captains as we have hinted the veteran governor exerted some sort of sway but it was of a peculiar and characteristic kind it was the tyranny of the table they were obliged to join him in his prosniks or carousals and to drink potations pottle deep his carousals too were not of the most quiet kind nor were his potations as mild as nectar he is continually said mr hunt giving entertainments by way of parade and if you do not drink raw rum and boiling punch as strong as sulphur he will insult you as soon as he gets drunk which is very shortly after sitting down to table as to any temperance captain who stood fast to his faith and refused to give up his sobriety he might go elsewhere for a market for he stood no chance with the governor rarely however did any cold-water caitiff of the kind darken the doors of old baranoff the coasting captains knew too well his humour and their own interests they joined in his revels they drank and sang and whooped and hiccuped until they all got half seas over and then affairs went on swimmingly an awful warning to all flinchers occurred shortly before mr hunt's arrival a young naval officer had recently been sent out by the emperor to take command of one of the company's vessels the governor as usual had him at his prosniks and plied him with fiery potations the young man stood on the defensive until the old count's ire was completely kindled he carried his point and made the greenhorn tipsy willy-nilly in proportion as they grew fuddled they grew noisy they quarrelled in their cups the youngster paid old baranoff in his own coin by rating him soundly in reward for which when sober he was taken the rounds of four pickets and received seventy-nine lashes doled out with russian punctuality of punishment such was the old grizzled bear with whom mr hunt had to do his business how he managed to cope with his humour whether he pledged himself in raw rum and blazing punch and clinked the can with him as they made their bargains does not appear upon record we must infer however from his general observations on the absolute sway of this hard-drinking potentate that he had to conform to the customs of his court and that their business transactions presented a maudlin mixture of punch and peltry the greatest annoyance to mr hunt however was the delay to which he was subjected in disposing of the cargo of the ship and getting the requisite returns with all the governor's devotions to the bottle he never obfuscated his faculties sufficiently to lose sight of his interest and is represented by mr hunt as keen not to say crafty at a bargain as the most errant water-drinker a long time was expended negotiating with him 
and by the time the bargain was concluded the month of october had arrived to add to the delay he was to be paid for his cargo in seal-skins now it so happened that there was none of this kind of peltry at the fort of old baranoff it was necessary therefore for mr hunt to proceed to a seal-catching establishment which the russian company had at the island of st paul in the sea of kamchatka he accordingly set sail on the fourth of october after having spent forty-five days at new archangel boozing and bargaining with its roistering commander and right glad was he to escape from the clutches of this old man of the sea the beaver arrived at st paul's on the thirty first of october by which time according to arrangement he ought to have been back at astoria the island of st paul is in latitude fifty seven degrees north longitude one hundred seventy degrees or one hundred seventy one degrees west its shores in certain places and at certain seasons are covered with seals while others are playing about in the water of these the russians take only the small ones from seven to ten months old and carefully select the males giving the females their freedom that the breed may not be diminished the islanders however kill the large ones for provisions and for skins wherewith to cover their canoes they drive them from the shore over the rocks until within a short distance of their habitations where they kill them by this means they save themselves the trouble of carrying the skins and have the flesh at hand this is thrown in heaps and when the season for skinning is over they take out the entrails and make one heap of the blubber this with driftwood serves for fuel for the island is entirely destitute of trees they make another heap of the flesh which with the eggs of sea-fowls preserved in oil an occasional sea-lion a few ducks in winter and some wild roots composes their food mr hunt found several russians at the island and one hundred hunters natives of onalaska with their families they lived in cabins that looked like canoes being for the most part formed of the jawbone of a whale put up as rafters across which were laid pieces of driftwood covered over with long grass the skins of large sea animals and earth so as to be quite comfortable in spite of the rigours of the climate though we are told they had as ancient and fish-like an odour as had the quarters of jonah when he lodged within the whale in one of these odoriferous mansions mr hunt occasionally took up his abode that he might be at hand to hasten the loading of the ship the operation however was somewhat slow for it was necessary to overhaul and inspect every pack to prevent imposition and the peltries had then to be conveyed in large boats made of skins to the ship which was some little distance from the shore standing off and on one night while mr hunt was on shore with some others of the crew there arose a terrible gale when the day broke the ship was not to be seen he watched for her with anxious eyes until night but in vain day after day of boisterous storms and howling wintry weather 
were passed in watchfulness and solicitude nothing was to be seen but a dark and angry sea and a scowling northern sky and at night he retired within the jaws of the whale and nestled disconsolately among seal-skins at length on the thirteenth of november the beaver made her appearance much the worse for the stormy conflicts which she had sustained in those hyperborean seas she had been obliged to carry a press of sail in heavy gales to be able to hold her ground and had consequently sustained great damage in her canvas and rigging mr hunt lost no time in hurrying the residue of the cargo on board of her then bidding adieu to his seal-fishing friends and his whalebone habitation he put forth once more to sea he was now for making the best of his way to astoria and fortunate would it have been for the interests of that place and the interests of mr astor had he done so but unluckily a perplexing question rose in his mind the sails and rigging of the beaver had been much rent and shattered in the late storm would she be able to stand the hard gales to be expected in making columbia river at this season was it prudent also at this boisterous time of the year to risk the valuable cargo which she now had on board by crossing and recrossing the dangerous bar of that river these doubts were probably suggested or enforced by captain sole who it has already been seen was an over-cautious or rather a timid seaman and they may have had some weight with mr hunt but there were other considerations which more strongly swayed his mind the lateness of the season and the unforeseen delays the ship had encountered at new archangel and by being obliged to proceed to st paul's had put her so much back in her calculated time that there was a risk of her arriving so late at canton as to come to a bad market both for the sale of her peltries and the purchase of a return cargo he considered it to the interests of the company therefore that he should proceed at once to the sandwich islands there wait the arrival of the annual vessel from new york take passage in her to astoria and suffer the beaver to continue on to canton on the other hand he was urged to the other course by his engagements by the plan of the voyage marked out for the beaver by mr astor by his inclination and the possibility that the establishment might need his presence and by the recollection that there must already be a large amount of peltries collected at astoria and waiting for the return of the beaver to convey them to market these conflicting questions perplexed and agitated his mind and gave rise to much anxious reflection for he was a conscientious man that seems ever to have aimed at a faithful discharge of his duties and to have had the interests of his employers earnestly at heart his decision in the present instance was injudicious and proved unfortunate it was to bear away for the sandwich islands he persuaded himself that it was a matter of necessity and that the distressed condition of the ship left him no other alternative but we rather suspect he was so persuaded by the representations of the timid captain 
they accordingly stood for the sandwich islands arrived at wahoo where the ship underwent the necessary repairs and again put to sea on the first of january eighteen thirteen leaving mr hunt on the island we will follow the beaver to canton as her fortunes in some measure exemplify the evil of commanders of ships acting contrary to orders and as they form a part of the tissue of cross-purposes that marred the great commercial enterprise we have undertaken to record the beaver arrived safe at canton where captain sole found the letter of mr astor giving him information of the war and directing him to convey the intelligence to astoria he wrote a reply dictated either by timidity or obstinacy in which he declined complying with the orders of mr astor but said he would wait for the return of peace and then come home the other proceedings of captain sole were equally wrong-headed and unlucky he was offered one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the fur he had taken on board at st paul's the goods for which it had been procured cost but twenty five thousand dollars in new york had he accepted this offer and reinvested the amount in nankeens which at that time in consequence of the interruption to commerce by the war were at two-thirds of their usual price the whole would have brought three hundred thousand dollars in new york it is true the war would have rendered it unsafe to attempt the homeward voyage but he might have put the goods in store at canton until after the peace and have sailed without risk of capture to astoria bringing to the partners at that place tidings of the great profits realized on the outward cargo and the still greater to be expected from the returns the news of such a brilliant commencement to their undertaking would have counterbalanced the gloomy tidings of the war it would have infused new spirit into them all and given them courage and constancy to persevere in the enterprise captain sole however refused the offer of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and stood wavering and chaffering for higher terms the furs began to fall in value this only increased his irresolution they sunk so much that he feared to sell at all he borrowed money on mr astor's account at an interest of eighteen per cent and laid up his ship to await the return of peace in the meanwhile mr hunt soon saw reason to repent the resolution he had adopted in altering the destination of the ship his stay at the sandwich islands was prolonged far beyond expectation he looked in vain for the annual ship in the spring month after month passed by and still she did not make her appearance he too proved the danger of departing from orders had he returned from st paul's to astoria all the anxiety and despondency about his fate and about the whole course of the undertaking would have been obviated the beaver would have received the furs collected at the factory and taken them to canton and great gains instead of great losses would have been the result the greatest blunder however was that committed by captain sole at length about the twentieth of june the ship albatross 
captain smith arrived from china and brought the first tidings of the war to the sandwich islands mr hunt was no longer in doubt and perplexity as to the reason of the non-appearance of the annual ship his first thoughts were for the welfare of astoria and concluding that the inhabitants would probably be in want of provisions he chartered the albatross for two thousand dollars to land him with some supplies at the mouth of the columbia where he arrived as we have seen on the twentieth of august after a year's seafaring that might have furnished a chapter in the wanderings of sinbad End of chapter 57